It be too late to alter course, matey. And there be plundering pirates lurking in every cove. And mark well me words, matey. Dead men tell no tales. <laughs> the code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 67 of The Curse of the Black Pearl. I'm pleased to say that our guest, Adam Liebrick Johnson, is back again to talk Pirates and Pirates of the Caribbean. As you may recall from the previous episode, Adam, I, I think he's sleeping, actually. Did you ever wake him up? Oh, I forgot to wake him. You left him in our dungeon, didn't you? I did. Adam! Adam, are you there? Adam! He's just sleep- Get this guy some grog! <laughs> Curse you for breathing, you slack-jawed idiot! <laughs> Don't you know it's Gibbs, bad luck to wake a man from? when he's sleeping? <laughs> You didn't tell me Gibbs was in the dungeon. I didn't know no, that. Oh, it's just me. Well, oh, it is you. Oh, Adam. Wow, you sound just like Gibbs. <laughs> well, this minute is very Gibbs-centric. Who wouldn't want to be, though? He's our. He's probably my favorite one out of the, the, the cast, I guess you could say, or the characters. <laughs> Adam is a member of the Royal French Privateers of Clan Darksail, which is a pirate reenactment group, and they do everything. I'll let him give you the tagline in a moment. Semi-tagline, or at least his tagline. Something to that effect. But that's not all, and I will also let him tell you about that, too, because apparently he's got some good pipes on him as well. Welcome, Adam. It's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here again. You had a very comfortable dungeon and a very plentiful grog. (laughs) Well, that's because Heather outfitted it for you. Usually I am just maybe got a few bits of hay. I'm just sleeping on stone, and I barely get anything to eat or drink during that time. So, you know, it's good to have a guest around. Although I think I had enough that there's a wee bit of a hangover now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Heather does have quite the stockpile of grog, so and rum and all that good stuff. So that's definitely a, a perk, at least for here. So did you know that in addition to being a uh, a pirate, I also sing, right? Yeah, I heard that you got some pipes on you, and I think probably Heather was going to ask you something about my just glorious heavenly voice rendition of a pirate song that I did, I think probably last week, last Friday, actually. Yeah, all about the bones, but really I was under the weather, so that really wasn't my real singing <laughs> voice. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what everybody said. I don't know how many listeners died after that, but it probably was quite a few. That It's like sending a virus out into the world and people just really, their ears started to bleed and all that. The digital age, it's like the new virus, I guess. Yeah, but let us know. What do you got going on with the singing? Well, I am a member of the world-famous Poxy Boggards, so-called the drinking group with a singing problem. <laughs> band. Heather has that same thing, but she doesn't <laughs> sing, so no. at least you got ah! something else going for you guys. It is a, a band that's been around for about, uh, I think it's 21 years now. I think the band's old enough to drink. And uh, wow. we perform at the uh, original Southern California Renaissance Pleasure Fair that's going on right now. Check us out at uh, poxyboggards.com. That's... Uh, 
P-O-X-Y-B-O-G-G-A-R-D-S.com or search for that on Facebook, Twitter, you know, all the social media stuff. We'll have to definitely share that on our Facebook as well and probably our website. We should definitely click and get that going so people can click over if they want to find you guys. But that is very cool. It sounds like you're quite the Renaissance man, actually. Pirate, (laughs) singer. I mean, hey, you got it going on here. You know, you're finding buried treasure. You're pillaging. You're plundering. You're drinking grog. I don't know what's going on here, but it sounds like you got the perfect thing going. Well, it's not bad being me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think it's safe to say you're a fan of The Curse of the Black Pearl, as we heard last time, but I got to ask, are you a fan of the other films in the franchise as well? Yes, I am. Uh, I'm, I love anything where Johnny Depp is Jack Sparrow. Um, I have a bit of an issue with the fourth movie on Stranger Tides uh, for a couple reasons. One, there's a lot less Jack Sparrow in that movie. Yeah, there is actually. And, I wonder uh, what they. I wonder if they, were they trying to transition him out, or what was what was going on with that, I, or was Ian McShane? Were they trying to just? I'm not entirely certain. Yeah, it's, a, it's but I, I also had an issue with uh, the fact that they called it on Stranger Tides, but there was very little from the uh, the source material for the, that they bought the uh, the rights for. You know, on I Stranger see. Tides is a very good pirate novel, and uh, there wasn't a lot in the movie that related to the book. So is it basically huh. they just kind of took the title and ran with it, being that it was a popular book, and then I'm not I'm not entirely certain why they did that because you know the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise is a billion dollar franchise. They don't really need that's right to capitalize on a book that while it was a popular book, it certainly didn't approach that level of sales. I think they probably uh-huh. planned on making a more faithful adaptation and then just sort of turned it into just another Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I see. Gotcha. So what do you think about Ian McShane, though, as Blackbeard? I know a lot of people don't like him, but I loved Ian McShane as Blackbeard. Yeah, I'm in your camp, too. I thought he I, was just I, great I, at that. I, I, You know, I like most of the stuff that he does, but I thought I he, thought really he was a great, a great foil to the, the previous over-the-top uh, characters. With, you, know, he, you know, Jack Sparrow is larger than life, always looks drunk, is always stumbling, always doing something crazy. And then, you know, Barbosa chews the scenery just as much, and then... I thought Ian McShane's performance was understated and menacing and frankly terrifying. Yeah, he was definitely more, I think, terrifying than probably some of the other ones, at least from my oh, yeah. point of view, seeing him versus Barbosa. Even though I'm yeah. a huge fan of Barbosa, I think maybe just as because maybe that was the first one that we were introduced to, and I think Jeffrey Rush just does a great job there. But Barbosa's probably my favorite character. Yeah, I don't know. I can't franchise. But, you know, he's gone yeah. he's gone from being a villain uh-huh. to a to a a, to a foil to a protagonist in his own right and you know, it was refreshing to just see something different from what we'd seen before that's right and his, his magic power was pretty awesome too using the sword to control the ship <laughs> why even have a crew <laughs> at that point <laughs> well yeah I don't know actually maybe just to wrap him up with rigging and means, uh, torture means more and... gold for old Eddie there yeah. <laughs> that's right I'm, I'm on good terms with Blackbeard I can call him Eddie <laughs> see so you got all kinds of connections then just gotta get us to some treasure here. I mean, the big question I have then is how would you rank the films in in order from, say, favorite to least favorite or vice versa, however you want to do that? What is your kind of ranking of those? It's probably release order. I've, is it? That, Heather's in uh, release you order. Know, um, the second two, they go back and forth. They both got really fantastic bits in it. And uh, I might put the third one ahead of the second one just because it has Barbosa in it a lot. Whereas the second mm. one has Barbosa just at the very end. Spoiler alert. 
That's right. Yeah. You know, I kind of end up ranking on Stranger Tides below or higher on the list than At World's End. And I I think, you know, I don't know. I think maybe because when I was first seeing At World's End, I was watching the film. And it gets into some of the psych, you know, at least what I call kind of some psychedelic stuff. And so... I kind of was like, oh, what's going on here with that when I really wasn't analyzing it or really watching it for what it well, was you know and what was I going on it. there. And I really just yeah. like Ian McShane. That's why I kind of end up putting On Stranger Tides down. So it's almost release order, but I usually bump I could, On Stranger I could, Tides I see how that goes. Say, up I on that list that. just And, you know, I, uh, you know, that thing I said last yeah. minute about uh, going more for good storytelling over historical accuracy – I think too far with that in uh, At World's End. Yeah. The, you know, the East India Company soldiers that's, with the weird yeah. uniforms and all that stuff. I, I, it, I think so. It didn't make any sense to me. Maybe that's part of what it is. I, I, I know Heather's, like I said, and she's a, a release kind of order person. Villain. but Yeah, I don't know. And maybe that's with Ian McShane, too. There, there was something that was different then for that one. Because then, you know, we had already seen, say, Davy Jones. And we had already gone some down that road. And then we had somebody new. And I thought, hey, you know, kind of clicking with that. So maybe that was part of it. That's kind of where I stand on that. And you already mentioned that you had a favorite character, which is Barbosa. But what are you, what are your thoughts on the say the upcoming movie, Dead Men Tell No Tales, just from at least what you've seen in the trailers so Captain far? Captain Salazar says death comes from. Or do you have any thoughts? I love Captain Salazar. <laughs> I've only seen like four minutes of him, and he's yeah. I think he's going to be a great him. addition. It's Javier Bardem, right? And I, I think he's fantastic. Um, and yeah, that's right. His yeah. his character design is mind-blowing yeah i think he's going to make a great addition to the franchise and i think he might just draw other people in that maybe have kind of either waned or have never or you know really haven't been introduced to the series in the theater so it should be i'm not sure how i feel about his well, ship for the, the best, uh it kind of looks yeah. like a, a snake rearing up in a couple shots but it looked better in the uh the second trailer than the first trailer i'm sure there's i'm sure they're still finalizing the effects for that yeah i don't know quite what's going on with that yet either i know yeah kind of reminded me of a snake or like an octopus arm that's kind of coming out and is going to envelop, you know, the other ship, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it actually lands or, or how much of we're seeing in the trailers is actually ends up in the movie itself. Yeah, very true. So before we get into the minute, I know we want to probably get this ball rolling since it's Monday and Adam has a hangover and Heather definitely has a hangover. Yeah. We got to get our pirate word or phrase of the week out, Heather. What's going on with that? Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. I wish you fair wind ever and oh. always. This is an expansive wish. Way of wishing someone well luck in his future endeavors. So is there any special reason you chose oh, that? Yes, because Adam's on. Oh, look at that. A personalized one. See, yes. you, get, you get the good stuff that's the well wishes to you. I get the dirty bilge rat, claw cat, and all these other crazy things. You know, I got the maggot burrowing into my periwig yes. and all these kinds of things so you're you're actually well, faring thank you very much i appreciate pretty well that. yeah special day actually adam do you have a pirate word or, or phrase that's your favorite since you're here a, a true pirate should probably have a a phrase that you could share uh, not to put you on the gosh. spot all of a sudden i've always been a fan of batten down the hatches which means prepare for ah, a storm a classic yeah and literally secure all your hatches because you don't want water coming into the ship. Nope. For sure. And we were talking about, yeah, I mean, just to be out there and with some of the crazy storm action, like we saw with the Interceptor just not too long ago, 
I mean, just to see what was going on there on a ship and to be at part of that had to just been quite the experience. Or even today, you know, you see some of the footage of these ships out in these rough waters and these seas. It's, I don't know. I'd probably be the one, first one washed overboard. Well, you'd be the first one sick. You'd be the first one who threw me overboard. <laughs> oh, no, I swear. He was washed overboard. As Heather was seen throwing me or pushing me over the side. That's probably what would happen. I'll send you to the deep. They just wave goodbye to yeah, you as you went done. by, as you disappeared yeah. over the horizon. <laughs> She's already <laughs> saying I'm done. It's a lot of effort to turn a ship yeah. around, and you don't want to do it if you're on a schedule. Is that just standard operating procedure at the time you knew going on? If you fell overboard, that was it? I mean, did they even toss you some kind of debris to float on? It's a rope or something to grab onto, but uh, if you slip too far astern, there's there's nothing they could do, really. Wow. Wow. I mean, I can see, like, with That's even on, on was that just... On pirate ships, or do you know That's if that just was on just on even yeah, I mean, other... Life on a merchant ship no was kidding. was a lot worse than oh, life on a pirate ship. So That's because there was probably more of a chain of command on the merchant ship as opposed to pirates that were maybe some equally vested kind of deal? Well, part of... I mean, there's a chain of command on the pirate ship. Everybody knows their place or they don't get paid. Yeah. But pirates generally paid That's merchant right. ships. And so... And uh, merchant captains were uh. generally pretty cruel. Pirate captains knew they could be replaced at any minute. So they had to be nice to their crew, or nicer at least. I mean, that actually plays into some of the questions that I'm going to have during this particular minute. So maybe we should just get going on that, and then we can tackle that stuff when we get there. Sounds great. In the previous minute, the HMS Interceptor arrives at Isla de Muerta and slowly makes its way through the foggy, shark-infested waters of Shipwreck K. Gibbs tells Will Turner that not a lot is known about Jack Sparrow, and if he only laid off the rum, probably could have managed to end the conversation there. But his love for the drink kept the secrets flowing as Gibbs manages to let the scallywag out of the bag and inform him that Jack Sparrow was once the captain of the Black Pearl. Minute 67 begins with Gibbs just about choking on his drink of rum in response to Will's question of surprise that the Black Pearl was once Jack's ship. Will says he failed to mention that, as Gibbs responds that Jack plays things closer to the vest now. A hard-learned lesson it was. The minute ends with a bit of storytelling as Gibbs tells Will, but Jack, he escaped the island, and he still has that single shot. He won't use it, though, save for one man. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I have a note here that just says... uh, Orlando's kicky scarf. It's very jaunty tied around his <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fashionable. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to keep himself cool. <laughs> yeah, that it is, actually. He's there. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it it, it kind of plays into <laughs> the difference between it. Will and the rest of the pirates, because he's, he's lived a relatively comfortable life in, uh, in Jamaica, He's a blacksmith's apprentice, which is a pretty, even if it's a lower class position, it's pretty upwardly mobile. You know, if he can be, once he becomes a journeyman and he opens his own shop, you know, he can make pretty decent yeah, yeah. middle class money as a blacksmith. He won't be nobility like, like the governor or, or anything, but he's, he'll, you know, so his clothes are a little nicer than yeah. the rest of the pirates. And you can see the contrast between him and say Gibbs, who's got fridges on his, uh, on his vest and the, you know, his scarf is just sort of a, a little string of fabric around his neck. So, yeah. So, I mean, what, what do you think phenomenal. about the costuming you know, here in the, the, the Jack the Sparrow film. costume is iconic, obviously. And then, uh, you know, I just, I, and it just, it just, it, it does a really good job yeah. in, in, uh, invoking a sense of time and place. You know, you look at the costumes, the, especially of Jack's crew and it just, it screams pirate from the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the hats, the, you know, the elaborate hats, and you know, just you know, the vest and the 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 
striped pants and all that kind of stuff. It, it, it really does look incredibly, incredibly amazing. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about some of the hats and things early on in episodes, and I know you contributed some interesting facts about that. But, I mean, as far as, like, the realism and stuff that you're seeing here, I mean... General Sailors, off- it's pretty authentic. The crew, you know, especially, especially you know, the, 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 the Royal Navy crew is extremely accurate. But, uh, but you know, the, the General's, like, Gibbs costume is pretty pretty typical of a sailor of the period. Yeah. Um, they, they take a lot of, they take a lot of liberties with, uh, with Jack's costume, but that's cause he's, uh-huh. you know, he's got the hero outfit with all the details on it and it's, uh, but you know, it's still, it's also fairly accurate on previous episodes, just even some of the, the outfit. And I know that they have everybody in kind of these high boots or these kind of calf boots or knee high boots or whatever they are. Actually can't think of it right now, but you know, I've heard that maybe that that was something that was reserved for, you know, writers and things like that. So I think, I mean, is that just something because it's kind of that stereotypical pirate look that we see that, or they're doing that? Or do you guys uh, actually, I think that's mostly because that's what people expect pirates to be wearing. Uh, My own costume, I wear low boots that sort of come up just to my ankle. Yeah. Um, And I wear, I wear, uh, and I wear breeches that tie off at the knee, and then socks. I see. Between, okay. From to cover my the rest of my leg, but uh, the you know the bucket boots like that that go up to the knee were were pretty typical of the period. And you know if somebody preferred to wear that, then you know they'd wear it. In this particular minute here, Gibbs tells Will that Jack placed things close to the vest after the mutiny, and he says that his first mate, which were I don't know if we've really assumed that it was Barbosa, or we haven't heard specifically those Barbosa, but Barbosa yeah. is the captain of the Black Pearl now, so I think we can kind of make that assumption. And Barbosa, so the first mate, or Barbosa, however we want to say that, wanted the location details of the treasure, since they all had an equal hand in getting it or retrieving it. And so my question that I had in this particular minute, is this something that the captain would routinely share with the men? Would pirate captains share the details oh, think, uh... of where the... Have you have you watched the series Black Sails? Yes. There there's a there's a great scene early on when they're going after the the treasure of the Spanish ship and he tells the crew exactly enough to know that they're going after something big and that they're going to need to have you know all hands and they're going to need to fight hard for it. Um I think it's within the realm of possibility that a, that a crew could ask the captain for more information but it is entirely the captain's prerogative to to disseminate whatever you know he feels is necessary he or she feels is necessary for the success of the of the that particular prize. That's right. That's where I was going because I was my reference. It's not exactly was- smart to go blabbing about uh, all the details of your mission to your crew because they are pirates. They are greedy, and the captain can, on a pirate ship, unless they're actively in battle, be replaced at any time by a popular vote of the crew. Exactly. So that's my kind of reference point then, say, is Black Sails at this point. And we saw, and I know this isn't Black Sails Minute, but we did see, say, those yeah, crew yeah. members actually then blabbing when they're at the the brothel oh, yeah. there. And just, or wanting to go off on their own, they're blabbing about it. Who knows and then who can keep soon, their mouth shut Everybody in Tortuga and Port Royal knows what the hell is going on. Yeah. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> exactly i can't yeah that's right you can't. <laughs> yeah you were talking all weekend in the dungeon i'm like i can man, what is going on down there it's like a party <laughs> so i put that disco ball up for well you the guys. disco ball was a nice touch <laughs> you would probably yeah, end up though and telling the first mate yeah the first mate should be in the uh in the captain's confidence first mate quartermaster any anyone in the higher rankings of the ship the navigator would definitely need to know. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that's for sure. Because <laughs> you know, you got to go. <laughs> you didn't somewhere. know where to go. <laughs> exactly. So I think uh, I think I think Jack was probably looking at Barbosa in telling him and the rest of the crew exactly where the island was. And you know, one, and of course, once he told everyone where the island was, they knew how to find it, so they knew so they could go there. That's right. Yeah, and then hence Jack in his precarious situation. But would the crew need to actually mutiny though? And that's what I was kind of on the verge of maybe trying to do some research on that and how much that works. So I guess I had two questions and I don't know if anybody can answer those is that, as you mentioned too, Adam, is that since like that pirate captain could be voted off or voted, you know, or they could vote a new captain in at any time. Would they actually, could they have just voted Barbosa captain? I think, or does Jack actually own the ship? Is there really no vote then? That's what I was maybe wondering about. I get the impression that the Pearl was Jack's property. But, you know, at the same time, they're, they're, they're pirates, so they could steal it. And I'm, I'm thinking that's probably, they could probably vote for a new captain and he'd still be the owner of yeah, the ship. Yeah, that's my impression too. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, it's <laughs> pirates, they could just steal it out from under him. And who knows how much discontent Barbosa gotcha. was sowing below okay. decks without Jack knowing. You know, he could have been spreading stories about Jack, how he planned to steal the treasure for himself and abandon the crew. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about. I, I just because I can just see Barbosa getting the crew on his side, and then obviously, which they did, and they did the mutiny and that kind of stuff. So that was my question, though. If Jack was the owner of the boat, or the, ah! the if Jack was the owner of the ship, then yeah, I was just wondering how that displacement would have worked if he had just been there, say, sitting idly or. You know, it would have been a complicated situation. That's a crew for sure. member then, but still the owner of the ship, and then Barbosa was really yep. the captain and taking tie up, charge. Tie up all the loose ends, leaving him on an island. So hence the mutiny then, exactly, and, and putting him on an island. <laughs> and we know there was at least That's one right. dissent among the crew. Spoiler. Dead men tell no tales. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and then we have yeah, the one uh, bootstrap. Oh yeah. That's right. Gibbs gives us a mutiny story and the reason why Jack did not want to use I love the, the shot Gibbs tells back a story. on Will at Port Royal. So we're finally actually starting to tie up some of these kind of so-called mysteries, if you want to call it that, or loose ends or however we want to put that. Yeah, and, and, and then you can tell he loves telling a story. Yeah, actually. Which has probably gotten him in trouble. Storytelling time, in I'm general. Sure. I don't know. I just always like his speak, you know, but, oh, yeah. call he, it that. It's interesting too because he he he's he almost seems paternal at the very beginning <laughs> where he sits Will down says, "Listen here, Sonny, I'm going to tell you a story right now." <laughs> we've seen that there's kind of a running theme throughout the movie, which is storytelling, and yeah. we've seen a number of instances of this. And this is just another one of those storytelling alerts, if we want to bring attention to that, where Gibbs actually takes the the story here, and I think he does just a bang up job doing it. I, I know I could listen to Gibbs tell the story all day, and I think we did. We we say that if <laughs> there was anybody going to write like the novelization of Pirates of the Caribbean, like in an audio or book format, that Gibbs should be the one doing that, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. One thing, one thing I really like is that uh, the screenwriters here put in basically an entire minute of just plain exposition without making it seem like exposition. <laughs> That's right. I actually had exposition in my my notes too. If, if, if that's, that should be Gibbs' nickname, Josh Me Exposition Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> but he does it in, I think it's because of the way he tells the story and the voice. You mm-hmm. just get so well, and then when Will wrapped inter- up into this swashbuckler that he's telling himself, even though we're watching one. It's like true. a swashbuckler when, within a when swashbuckler. Will does the, his hilarious Jack Sparrow impersonation. 
And Gibbs Gibbs has like no reaction and he just sort of looks at him. <laughs> That's yeah. right, yeah. And he goes on with his story, he's like, Okay, we're done with that. <laughs> yeah, because he basically what does he just what does he say there? He just ends up saying that reason's got nothing to do with it or something like that. He kind of really, yeah, just dismisses that pretty quickly yeah. so he can get back to the yeah. story. According to Ted Rossio and ah! Ted, Ted Rossio. <laughs> Heather got me to do that the other day, and now I can't get it out of my mind. According to Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott, the writers, Bruckheimer wanted the audience to know why Jack had some, say, these less-than-normal movements and mannerisms. And he asked them to write in a justification or this explanation into the script. And so they added that bit about the heat. But it turned out then, when they also did that, that they decided to go ahead and give Gibbs that line which is reasons got nothing to do with it, just basically to kind of refute that. So it didn't really, so it's like it would keep the audience guessing into this whole Bugs Bunny trickster element that they've liked to to do during the film. And so they gave the audience just enough to think, okay, that's a plausible explanation of why Jack did that because of the heat stroke and stuff like that. But then there's still some of that doubt to keep us guessing about this over the top Jack Sparrow character is, you know, what's so people could kind of guess like, what is this guy's deal? You know, what, what's really going on? How here? much of the Jack Sparrow character is a character that Jack himself puts on, you know, how, how much, you know, obviously he's a little unhinged, but how, how much does he exaggerate that to, uh, to, to, to just be off putting to, right. to the rest of the general population right. and have yeah. to make them underestimate him. Yeah, uh-huh. that's exactly it. I think that is like the excellent point of the minute. You know, he's really a we're mad seeing that Because everybody underestimates him. Norrington does, Gillette, and we see this is how he ends up getting out of some of these situations or taking the H- the Dauntless. Yeah, yes. he is. And that's how he got the Interceptor, actually. And he, he never drops the character. From the moment he's introduced in the movie... In, on on top of the mast of the Jolly Mon, he's you know he's standing there as if he's commanding the biggest ship in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, and that's what you think when he's sailing in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get that first look, like okay, he's sailing in on this huge ship, and then boom, we get you know Jolly Mon action. Yeah. <laughs> and I also was hearing that it was actually Orlando Bloom's idea to do the mannerisms. At least because they were going to do kind of a verbal back and forth about it. But Orlando Bloom was actually the one who wanted to give it a shot and actually try and mimic that or impersonate Jack Sparrow. And I thought that... I'm glad because it's hilarious. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's one of the the good, the great moments of the film. Because you're you're sitting there wondering too, like this is really a, an interesting character. And then to have them kind of mimic it and see that. I mean, that's the thing. It's like... Do they see how unique this Jack Sparrow character is as they're dealing with him? And obviously they do. They see him exactly how we see him. Yeah. Orlando actually went to Jerry Bruckheimer and asked him if he can put that into the movie. Oh, really? So they did that? Yeah. So he came up with it and asked if he could put it into the movie. I think that the... I mean, what do you think? Do you think that the audience... I don't... Would have been questioning it at all? Or what if they had never added that scene? I mean, would the, would we still kind of wonder what's up with this guy? Do we do we need that tidbit? I don't think we do, but I think it adds a lot to to uh, to the narrative at this point. I think it adds a lot to Will's character, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. so it's, it's necessarily necessary for the story, but it is a great character moment. 
Well, I mean, we've talked about just Will thinking, well, I mean, this is all gets back to people underestimating Jack. Yeah. And But Will has also kind of been underestimated, if you will, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Will's been underestimated from the beginning by, by Governor That's Swan right. and Norrington. Everyone except Elizabeth, it seems. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it's an interesting kind of putting these guys together, but they're somewhat opposites of each other. In a kind of weird way, but they're also the same. <laughs> Does that make any sense? I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. <laughs> Especially now that he's kind of becoming pirate or having to become a pirate to save Elizabeth. He's kind of, maybe he's going to adopt that later on. You know, maybe when we see him in Dead Men Tell No Tales, he's actually going to be doing the same movements as after being on the Flying Dutchman for all these years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's going to be going, that's why, that's why I'm doing it. I'm really looking forward to seeing Will again. I am too. Yeah, I think it's it's good that they brought him back, and I think that maybe is going to help with the success of this potential. You know, this Dead Men Tell No Tales is because they're bringing back Will, and people have been mm-hmm. wanting to see him since he was absent on Stranger Tides. So one of my favorite moments in this minute, besides uh, besides Will's Jack Sparrow impression, which he should, he should take <laughs> on the road. It's that good. Yeah, <laughs> it is good. I don't know if anybody else could pull that off. I, I should try it in front of a mirror. <laughs> or maybe I do it all the time anyways, and I just don't know it. You do. You walk around like that. <laughs> One of my favorite moments is uh, when Will, when uh, Gibbs is telling Will what happens when a pirate's marooned. And he says, that pistol's not much good for hunting. Yeah. But after a week of thirst and a starving belly, it's starting to look real friendly. And he has these great wild eyes as he holds his finger up to his temple. It's it's really fantastic acting from Kevin McNally. I, well, he just sells the character, and I think that's why I have a fascination yeah. with Gibbs, is because I really believe that he is a pirate or somebody that is from this time period. I mean, he just like embodies the whole thing for me on that, and I don't know. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, anything that he's doing, he could probably be talking about computers, and if he's doing <laughs> it in that voice, I'm like, oh, they had computers back then. I'll be damned. <laughs> Now, Will, when a pirate upgrades to Windows 98. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> give him a disc. <laughs> so what, what do you think about the whole marooning situation then with the one shot? I mean, I've seen that that actually maybe happened. I've, I've seen some pirate articles, and I don't remember which one it was now, but they actually mentioned that, yeah, you could be marooned and given a bottle of water and some powder, a shot, and a pistol. It seems, uh, it seems rather cruel to me. Yeah. And, you know, to think that, I mean, I, you know, there, there's, there's thousands of uncharted islands in the ocean and, you know, and most of them are tiny. A lot of them are sandbars that, that'll wash away with the tide after after a couple days. It, it's just, oh, it's, it's, it seems super cruel and, and really frightening to be marooned like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they said they, they prefer sandbars. Oh, is that what they said? Yeah. Just and for that reason? Yeah. They give you enough fresh water for a day. The sandbar, at high tide, you could be up to your neck in water. <laughs> oh, jeez. And you can't really drink seawater. No. Wow. So it really was more of a death sentence then. Yeah. It was just, there you go. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the deal on that. Boy, that's not good. So I guess that's why they thought Jack was pretty much a goner then. They didn't expect to see him again. I guess you probably didn't see anybody that was typically maroon before pop back up. 
Except for Jack, because they removed her. They removed her from the wrong island. (laughs) (laughs) My question is, when when Jack was marooned, why didn't Barbosa take the compass? That I don't know. Does Barbosa know about the compass? That's what. Does he know about it? Gibbs definitely seems to know about it. That's right. And I don't know because if that happened after after. Jack was marooned or that they, that he found Gibbs again and told him about it. Or if it was when Gibbs and Jack sailed together before, and maybe, maybe he never told Barbosa because if I'm certain, if you were sailing on the black Pearl at the time they were going after this treasure, that Barbosa would have seen Jack consulting the compass and then telling the navigator rather than the navigator consulting his own compass and doing bearings based on that. Unless it yeah, person I mean, then, when he got marooned. I mean, that would be my only explanation because I would have to imagine that Barbosa would. Well, if he knew what the compass actually did, I mean, we yeah. don't quite know that yet. I mean, as far as what we know is that well, I suppose once you know, at least it points to the island. Yeah, I suppose once you know the bearings of the island, then you don't really need the compass either. If if you think that's all it does, right. that's right. Exactly. So maybe that's that's what it was that he just didn't need it, didn't need to bother with it because he didn't realize. As none of us do out there yet, <laughs> that it had other properties as well that we may or may not see later on in the film. But yeah, that that definitely is a good point. There actually, and I did look up something regarding, and and maybe you as a true pirate know about this, but there's actually Landsman syndrome, or apparently more common malded barkment, which is disembarkment syndrome or land sickness. And sailors actually would used to get kind of this movement of the ocean or rocking of a ship thing. And so when they would come back on land, that they would have that persistent sensation of movement in that motion, that rocking, swaying, and bobbing that was, say, typically that they would find out on a ship. And so when they'd actually get back to land, they were still feeling that same thing. And it's kind of maybe what Jack is. Is that also maybe what Jack is? potentially has whenever i spend time out on the water uh i feel it for a while after getting back on land even if i'm just swimming in the ocean i I, i'll feel it for a while after getting back on land so it's possible that i mean if if we wanted or looking for another explanation of why he was or why he has some of these i've always assumed that that about jack is that he just always feels like he's on he's at sea because the way the way he walks is the way yeah. a sailor walks during a uh, a stiff wind on a ship or during rough seas. Since so, actually, what is your take then? I know you talked a little bit about that, but just your take in general on Jack Sparrow, because he's not like that stereotypical pirate that we see, say like with Barbosa or maybe even Gibbs. But you know, Jack has that kind of uniqueness or that larger than life thing about him. And I mean, is that? Do you think what kind of drove the success of the film? Oh, absolutely. And I know I know you guys have talked about it in past episodes, but, you know, they they wanted Jack Sparrow to be a suave, debonair, you know, Errol Flynn type. You know, something something like Errol Flynn and Captain Blood and Johnny Depp said, let me let me Uh put a little Keith Richards in here and see what you think. And, uh, you know, I think (laughs) I think one of the reasons for the success of the movie is is Johnny Depp's performance. It's iconic. It's unlike anything that that came before. It's completely unexpected and out of left field. And it's just, you know, it, and, you know, it, the studio was scared of letting that out there. Yeah. Heather talked to Heather kind of shine the light on some of that, that they thought, you know, where where is he going with this character? And they, they weren't really sure what to do with it. Yeah. I mean, if Jack had played it or if Johnny Depp had played it as more of an Errol Flynn type in Captain Blood, I mean, would it have been 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it would probably would have been that successful. You know, I've seen concept sketches because people remember seen concept sketches of his costume in that uh, yeah. in that style, and it was you know it was Johnny Depp with a you know pencil thin mustache and the this bandana tied around the head yeah. and you know holding a cutlass and looking very dashing. And uh, yeah, I, I just I don't think it would have worked as well, especially with the product they they ended up with. You know, it seems like a lot of the script, especially you know, later on in the movie, is tailored towards Jack's mannerisms. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that helps sells. Well, it keeps it in kind of. There's a lot of tongue and cheek moments too, so it keeps that kind of comedy aspect of it that maybe wouldn't have quite sold so well if it was kind of more of a straight. Yeah, I think arrow that's something that bogs down type. some of the later movies as they start taking themselves too seriously. Ah, you know, this, maybe this, this this movie is just pure fun from start to finish, and it, and. A lot of it is because of Johnny Depp's performance as Jack's. That it yeah. is. Well, that's kind of, I think, your big takeaway after you watch the movie is his performance. And that's why you can see people that are just in love with Jack Sparrow character. I mean, oh, yeah. Disney has even set up, it's the, you know, there's a Pirates of the Caribbean Facebook page, for instance. But then there's also a dedicated Captain Jack Sparrow Facebook page, which has tens of millions of followers on it as well that's just dedicated to Jack Sparrow and that's what kind of that icon that pop icon that he's become it you know you don't really see that so much with the other characters as you do with Johnny Depp well, and he, Jack Sparrow they pick Johnny for a reason yeah because he acts the he way he does he can pull those off yeah he can pull know. those characters off right it's gotten to the point where the top, I can't see but... Johnny Depp in anything without expecting him to sound like Jack Sparrow. Yeah, isn't that the truth, though? And and I wonder if that's why he does some of those. He kind of plays different characters. I mean, even if we wanted to talk about the Mad Hatter, which yeah. we've done, or even when he played Tonto in Lone Ranger, he you know is a unique character. Or by he far his oddest apart. role, which is in uh, the Kevin Smith movies Yoga Hosers and Tusk. He plays Inspector Guy Lapointe. Of the uh, a, a Quebecois member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Oh, That's part of those I've movies. Those that, movies are actually. very strange, that. very off-putting. But but I think Johnny Depp is brilliant in them because it's a completely different character from Jack Sparrow. He does an over-the-top, ridiculous uh, uh-huh. Quebecois French accent. <laughs> you know, there's been talk too, like with the Dead Men Tell No Tales, that they're potentially going to try and, or at least, you know, it's all talk and it depends. But the idea of transitioning jack sparrow out for a next generation but i don't know i mean i don't know if they could succeed without him in the films or any future films that they were to go that far unless they really do kind of end the end it after i as much as i love pirates movies i don't know that i'd be as interested without jack sparrow i'd I'd rather see a new a new pirate that's what i'm saying i don't know uh, if it would have a different studio than have a a jack sparrow list pirates of the caribbean that's right yeah he he just makes the movies yeah i don't know if they could do it Mm -mm. i think that it would just it'd be too different and they might as well just start something fresh and call it that and start it over yeah have, oh, do we miss anything? I have one final kind of... note that I have, at this, and the, that's the uh, the sound design in this minute. I think is brilliant. Oh, do you have anything in particular? Um, just because it, it's a very dialogue heavy, and it's a very, and it's kind of a quiet minute. All the sounds are super subtle, but they're they're very they're very present. The, you know, you hear the ship creaking, you hear the wind howling, you hear you know mm. you you hear the sails flapping in the wind, and uh, it just it just it helps really create the environment of of the ship and it, it does it in a way that it sort of increases the tension uh, 
Gibbs is saying. And, 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 you know, there's not a lot of music in this minute until Gibbs says the word mutiny. And then yeah, music yeah. comes in That's under exactly it. And right. that coupled with the sounds of the ship. And it just, it really, it really sets the mood for this minute. Yeah, they've actually done a really good job of bringing a lot of sounds in on just even when the ship is. And I know we talked about this very early on yeah. in our first couple of episodes on the Dauntless, which was a kind of a similar thing where I was even trying to count all the different sounds that I could hear because it really was overwhelming, but you didn't notice it. So it was overwhelming when trying to count it, but you didn't notice it when just listening to it because it really became part of this really cool ambient background that really made you feel like you were on the ship there and out in the middle of the ocean. So yeah, that's all I got. I don't know if you have anything else, Heather. Nope. You're good, Adam? I'm good. Adam, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, it's really been a pleasure to have you here for the past couple of days. I've had a fantastic time. We've had a lot of fun. It's cool. been great. Yeah, it's really just been great to actually have somebody with some pirate knowledge and who is out yeah. there on a daily basis <laughs> gathering treasure, pillaging, plundering, black powder <laughs> guns going off, sword fights. I mean, how you've eluded the law in Norrington all these years is just amazing. And don't forget the singing. Yeah. And the singing, yeah. Can't forget that. Before we head out of here, definitely remind us where everyone can find you should they want more information well, the, uh, on everything that you Royal do. Well, French Privateers of Clan Darksail, you can find us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Twitter and Instagram are Clan Darksail. There's also a YouTube channel that's also Clan Darksail. Facebook is uh, RFP Clan Darksail for Royal French Privateers. Or visit clandarksail.com uh, for the world-famous Poxy Boggards performing now at the uh, original Southern California Renaissance Pleasure Fair. Until May 28th, the the date I said earlier, the 21st, was incorrect. It actually ends on the 28th. Uh, That's Poxy Boggards. It's uh, P-O-X-Y-B-O-G-G-A-R-D-S. You can find us on all the social medias for that. And uh, for tickets to the Renaissance Fair, visit Renfair, R-E-N-F-A-I-R, dot com slash SoCal. Everybody should go check that out. And the Poxy Boggers perform upon the uh, the Rogue's Reef stage where we sing very good songs <laughs> that get very, very blue. Well, that right there is just sounds like a good invitation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not for children. <laughs> yeah, we always try to walk a thin line here. And usually it's Heather. I got to rein her in all the time with her euphemisms and things. Really? But uh, I'm not going to take any claim <laughs> or I'm not going to just, you know, claim that I do it. Yeah, it really is Heather. So... I know we'll blame her on that, but definitely we should get out there and check that out for sure. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it does. So thanks again, Adam. And we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 68 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum. Arr! How the hell do I get out of this dungeon anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Just the key will magically appear in a couple weeks or so. <laughs> We figure we may need your expertise for a few more episodes, so <laughs> you're just going to have to sit tight. Oh, man. Actually, we're going to try and bribe you into doing like a coming up with a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute theme song, and we're just going to force you to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, Banjo? Heather's been drinking at the Faithful Bride Tavern? Take me to her, buddy. Blimey. Passed out in the mud with the pigs? Again? This sty is your second home. Heather, wake up! The show's done and you're supposed to tell everyone where they can find us, where the after party is, and how their voicemail may be featured on the show. Banjo, get me a bucket. Hey, Scallywags, while Banjo's getting some water to wake up Heather, it's time I say thanks for listening. 
you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. It helps us out, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook and Twitter. If you're interested in our best-of clips, you can find us on SoundCloud. All the links are at blackpearlminute.com. It's that easy.